Imagine you gave a dollar a day to a worthy cause, but you did it along with thousands of Jewish people around the globe, and you all donated to one cause every single day. Thousands of your $1 bills pulled together towards one cause daily. What's the impact of your dollar then? You don't have to imagine it. You can and should do it by joining Daily Giving today. Head over to dailygiving.org and become a daily giver today. That's dailygiving.org. Jewish Money Matters, episode 337, Beyond the Art of Fundraising with Rabbi Shmuley Rothman. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. One of my passions, and I see, I see it heading in that direction, day by day, person by person, is to take the word fundraising out of the dirty word book right. and putting it into one of the most privileged things. Moshe Rabbeinu was a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. He came on the mountain and said, I could build this, this Mishkan out of my own pocket. I could bankroll it. But Hashem wants me to give you a chance to connect with him through this beautiful thing. So the fundraiser is really the shatchan, the matchmaker. Right. And when the person in that role sees it as such, then a lot of the negative association with money or n- being needy or I'm dependent on how the person is going to respond to my request, all that stuff can fall to the wayside. And holy smokes, what could be accomplished? Think this topic is just about fundraising? Think again. Yes, fundraising, a fascinating topic, frames this conversation. But what you will learn about money, business, and life is priceless. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm in conversation with fundraising coach Rabbi Shmuley Rothman. How did Rabbi Rothman end up as a fundraising coach? Money mindset, and how does it show up in fundraising? The role of bitachon, exclusive reliance on God when it comes to fundraising. We talk about fear, not just his clients, and there are many, but his. What were the things holding him back at a certain point in life, and what shifted for Rabbi Rothman? A bit more about Rabbi Rothman. He directed Chabad Hillel at the University of Toledo, Chabad Youth of Pittsburgh, and he was the Chabad. Reco- he was part of the Chabad Recovery Rabbis. He started Rothman Coaching 13 years ago, where he helps Chabad Shluchim emissaries raise money for their institutions. But as you will soon hear, the result and the gain is way beyond the money raised. Wherever you are in life, you don't have to be a fundraiser to learn from what this seasoned coach will share with you today. Here's the insightful and engaging Rabbi Shmuley Rothman. Rabbi Shmuley Rothman, welcome to Jewish Money Matters. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. All about the art of fundraising. This is your field. This is your expertise. I learned about your work through a beautiful interview in my husband's podcast, the Gate of Trust podcast. I'll give a big shout out to that. And it very quickly became one of my favorite episodes, if not my favorite. I was so intrigued by your work. You're a fundraising coach. 
Rabbi, you specifically, you help Chabad Shluchim, Chabad emissaries raise money for their institutions. And, and you use what you call your mountaintop mindset method, which I want to hear about. But first, fundraising coach specifically, it's not something that we hear about every day. It's not something that the career counselor kind of gives us in the list. You know what I mean? They're not the typical answer to what do you want to do when you grow up? I love the business concept. I love what you're doing. And I love the fact that you sort of designed this for yourself. So I want to hear first, how did you design this? Or perhaps a better way to say it is how did you use God's messages, God's providence along the way to then craft and then design this career? How did you arrive at this career? It's a great question. You already answered it. God crafted it for me. A lot of it was listening to listening out for the cues. Going back to my earliest memories of fundraising myself, I was probably a 12, 13 year old kid. And there was a Russian, a Russian boy in the community who needed to have a, a bris, a circumcision. Hmm. And my friends and I got together to buy a bicycle to uh, kind of not 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 buy him off to do that special mitzvah, but rather tell him there's a little incentive here. We're going to get you this gift because it's going to be you know you're going to you're going to have to go through some pain. There's a, should be some gain as well. And we walk, walked around the shul and approached some of the people in shul, and it was the easiest thing to put 150 bucks together for. I'm, I'm probably that bike would today would probably be 400 dollars. But uh, so it, it goes back to then. I remember there were times kids in the class couldn't. Come on a Shabbaton because their parents couldn't afford the $25 for the weekend. And a couple of us just went to some people in Shul and said, you know, we're going on a Shabbaton and this kid can't come. Would you like to help out? Um, those are my earliest memories of fundraising. In my the earliest stage that I had on Shluchus was in Toledo, Ohio. For the most part, I was working in an already established organization. I didn't have to fundraise. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to fundraise, it was because if I wanted to do additional programs, Go ahead and raise it. And then you have the leeway. In Yiddish, there's a saying, which loosely translates into the one who's got the hundred has the opinion. So Mm -hmm. if you bring the money to the table, you can then decide how it gets spent, obviously, within a certain framework. Um, It wasn't until I had been coaching for probably six, seven years already mostly focused on organizational coaching, organizational clarity, leadership, HR, communications, relationships, many things that I had made very avoidable mistakes with in my different roles at different Chabad houses along the way. And I had eventually, I I said, you know, it's time to stop making the same mistakes. Go learn from those who know this material, Mm -hmm. um, how to do this properly. And about seven years into that journey, I got a call from Chabad on Campus International, who sponsors a coaching program for the many Chabad on Campus rabbis around the country and around the globe, saying, we're starting our summer coaching program. We, there's, there's a greater demand of rabbis that want the coaching. Could you join the coaching? And I said, I, I don't know. <laughs> what do I know about fundraising? And I made a phone call to a dear friend of mine and a mentor, Rabbi Elazar Green, Chabad of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And I said, Elazar, what do I need to know? He said, well, uh, Shmuley, fundraising is a relationship. And fundraising is communication. And fundraising is learning how the donor thinks. I said, oh, I know all that stuff. I just never thought about it in the context of fundraising coaching. So the journey began there. And with many mentors and if I could borrow the term, 10,000 hours of practice. Uh-huh. Um, thank God. I've been led to a place where um, I'm blessed to help the directors of the organizations find a beautiful, 
energy in the blessed um, the blessed the words not opportunity but the blessed role that they carry on their shoulders of helping wonderful philanthropic people connect their hard-earned dollars Mm -hmm. with a cause that they're passionate about. And when that happens, the magic explodes all over. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll resonate. What I'm about to share with you might resonate with you. I had a guest on the show recently, Donnie Fine. He runs a project called the Mitzvah Opportunity. Um, I I could connect you both. But anyway, Donnie said to me um, on the show, said, you know what, Yael, I'm not a fundraiser. I look at it as I'm raising capital. Tell me more. See, because I'm giving people an opportunity, right? When you're raising capital, right? When you're giving people the opportunity, some might take it, right? To make a return on your investment. Some might take it and some might not, but the opportunity is there. And whoever takes it, in this case, it's Sadaka. So obviously has the highest ROI ever. So it's a no brainer, but it's, it's, it's such a subtle shift and it's such a powerful shift because that's what it is. It's I'm bringing them the opportunity to do something incredible. Yes, I, I like that. And I, I, I appreciate, like you say, the subtle shift. To One of my passions, and I see, I see it heading in that direction, day by day, person by person, is to take the word fundraising out of the dirty word book right. and putting it into one of the most privileged things. Moshe Rabbeinu was a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. He came on the mountain and said, I could build this, this Mishkan out of my own pocket. I could bankroll it. But Hashem wants me to give you a chance to connect with him through this beautiful thing. So the fundraiser is really the shatkan, the matchmaker. Right. Right. And when, we, when, when the person in that role sees it as such, then a lot of the negative association with money or n- being needy or, or I'm dependent on how the person is going to respond to my request, all that stuff can fall to the wayside. And holy smokes, what could be accomplished when... The one bringing the money, the person and the money to the cause is is coming from the top of the mountain or the mountaintop, whichever one you want to put first, mm-hmm. then the sky is not even the limit. Right. I was going to say, when you say taking out fun, the word fundraising from the, the, what do you call it? Bad word book? What did you call it? <laughs> the bad word book. Right. So let's take the word money out of the word, but word book too, <laughs> while we're at it. Right. That's exactly right. So, so, so with that, this is a perfect segue actually to what I wanted to ask, which is what, you know, what from what the work that you do with people, what, how big a piece is money mindset issues? How big a piece is money management issues? Is it, is it, one over the other? Is it a combination of both? Can you give us some examples? Well, let me throw it back at you. When you say money mindset, give me give, give me an example. What do you mean by that? Well, um, so sort of what you were alluding, like that feeling like, oh, like m- maybe I shouldn't be, the, the money might be, you know, I shouldn't be engaged with the money or like maybe I'm needy. Like, what do I need this money? Money should, it's gosh, it really, I shouldn't be focused on the money. You know, people have a lot of issues with making money, with making a lot of money, with dealing with people who have a lot of money, you know, um, preconceived notions or sorts of things like as though money was not, is not part which it actually is. Right. And we make it this dirty thing that we shouldn't be involved with, which is totally antithetical to Judaism. But so, so, so that is like a big money management piece that comes up, not to mention the Bitachon piece, which we'll get to in a minute. Right. 
as opposed to practical money management. By the way, they're not separate, right? When usually when people have issues managing money is because there's a big mindset issue underlying. Um, they go hand in hand. So what, what have you noticed? Thank you for clarifying. I, I like it. Um, what have I noticed? I've noticed that when somebody thinks positively, they're going to have a positive outcome, period. That's the way the Abishter wired us. When I think negatively, <laughs> when I think negatively, um, I can't be guaranteed I'm going to have a negative outcome because that's limiting Hashem. But I'm pretty much tell, inviting Hashem to say, I want to go hang out with the person who is thinking positive. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to money, as you said, it is part of meaning it's a tool. Now, I, I, I recently heard a story. There's a, a wonderful philanthropist, Rabbi uh, Rebero, Rebero Solomon. Uh, no, Rebero Weiss, all of a shalom from California. Mm-hmm. The first time he was brought to Fabringen by the Rebbe, Rabbi, by Rabbi Shmuel David Reichik, all of a shalom. Um, it was a Fabringen where Hasidim were pledging an amount of money for the year, for the electricity for the year, different things. I think it was, it was right after the holidays and everyone was making their pledge. And this, um, this must have been in the 60s, I'm thinking. And the, the, the big numbers were $5,000, maybe $10,000. Those was like astronomical. There wasn't, a, there wasn't a large community. There wasn't a lot of money back then. And money had different value. And Rabbi, Rabbi um, Rebero, he called out 100,000, 100,000. And he said, as people were calling out their numbers, the Rebbe nodded at them and said, L'chaim Levracha, nodded, L'chaim Levracha, or Brach, I think it was L'chaim Levracha, and when he called out his 100,000, which was clearly 10 times larger than the largest gift, he got the same exact L'chaim Levracha. Hmm. And he said and afterwards, he told Rabbi Reichik, he said, that's when the Rebbe had me sold. And the Rebbe didn't give my number an ounce more energy than the person who came in 10 times less. And he said, what, I, what, what registered in my head was the Rebbe honored the, the, the act, not the amount. And the Rebbe also wasn't swayed or bought or impressed or, oh, wow, amazing. Catch up. You know, all that whole stuff that happens when, when, when big money gets thrown around. Right. You did something good. I'm going to value you for what you did. So you talk about money, money mindset. When I understand that it's a tool, Hashem created the tool, not me and not you. There's been money and currency since, since the beginning of creation. They bartered. You know, berries for, for, for kernels or whatever it was. And, and so today, maybe, you know, it's cash and, and, and however you want to refer to it. It's a tool to be used to do more good. If the person who is directing the organization has negative association with money, I'll give you an example. This is a fresh example. I was talking to a rabbi last week. He and I had met at a convention. He heard something I had to say. He liked it, and I followed up. We were kibitzing. It wasn't a sales call. Just let me learn more about your organization, the good work that you're doing. And he said to me, I have never had to ask for money. We've had this organization. It's established over 13 years ago. People come and they give. Mm-hmm. And I like it because I'm terrified of asking. Hmm. So then I said, so, no, so, so first of all, why, why, would you, why are we talking? Like, why are you looking to change that? Said, well, right. I know that I want to grow. And based on the growth that's coming down the road, it's irresponsible for me to take on those new expenses of the expansion without learning the art of engaging donors and being proactive. So I said, take me back to the terror. What is it? 
So he took me, I had an idea of a big donor who I was going to ask him his words for a $5 million gift, which is just a little indication that sometimes we don't understand the value of a dollar. So we don't understand the value of $5 million. So I could, <laughs> so I, I could, I could ask because I just, I don't know otherwise. I also don't know how to think like the donor thinks because I'm not a donor. Right. If I'm not a wealthy person, I can't creep in the mind of a wealthy person. So he said he, he, he was married. He's studying Kolo. He knew he was going out to establish a organization somewhere. And he went to this person who was a top officer in AOL back then. For those who are from this century, America Online was the first email provider, or one of the first, maybe Juno. Those CDs that came in the mail. (laughs) Exactly. So, and he was convinced that this guy's a millionaire billionaire. And what's five, his $5 million is like like my $5. So I'll ask him for $5 million. He walked into his office in Manhattan, and before he even got the request out of his mouth, the guy wiped the floor with him and totally devastated all of his ideas, telling him he's wrong for thinking of where he wants to go and what he wants to do. It's not going to work. So fast forward 25 years later, he thinks the word money in the context of fundraising, and he's right back in that traumatic situation. Right. So some people have it more dramatic. Some people have it less. I met one person who told me I can never ask for money. I said, well, I said, why not? He said, because growing up, my father would walk around Shul collecting money for homeless people that needed basic money for food. Mm-hmm. And I was embarrassed. My father earned a respectful pranasa. But the fact that he would walk around, I associated my father with the people who came in pleading for money. Mm-hmm. So everyone's got their story. Yeah. And today's, a lot of today's stories are not today's stories. They're last generation stories or they're who knows when in our Nishama's journey it's coming into play. To me, the good news is when I recognize that there's something stopping me from proactively and positively getting out there to give people wonderful opportunities, I can do a little bit of work today and say, hmm, I wonder what it might be. Oh, oh, there is a shift. Oh, and if I just go from being on the bottom of the mountain looking up mm-hmm. to the top of the mountain, Humbly looking down, gratefully looking down. Because top of the mountain and pompous, stay away. That, that's a horrible combination. But top of the mountain, recognizing Hashem put me in this place to get this job done at this particular time and has already guaranteed me all the resources I'll ever need to make it happen. Oh, I need to go look for them? That's fine. But when I'm looking from the mountaintop, I, I have perspective. I could see that it's coming. I see. I could see that that they want it. And now I can go I can go explore. When I explore, I'm relaxed. People go out to the wilderness and explore. They're not like, you know, terrified. Not around, what, what, what's around the corner? What's what's going to be under that leaf? What's under that rock? Mm-hmm. Oh, the treasure's here. Oh, it's not here today. Let me keep going and find out where it is. In the meantime, I'm having fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's so many, there's so many key points that you just mentioned here. I mean, I, just the fact that the, the money story, right, is such a big part. In, and people don't realize that that money story, that tape is something that we've been, has been sh- taken shape since we're seven, eight years old. Like it really goes back. And if we're not consciously, if we don't work on looking at what that script is, we're playing that story. Like you well said, that person went back to that young, 21 year old, you know, fresh out of, I don't know, 23 year old, right? Out of whatever, Colil. He, he's now a mature adult and he's just back in that place of being 
scared and crushed and 23 and right, or that other person you described. So if we don't explore this money story, we actually, our behavior is just completely almost on autopilot when it comes to this. And we, we don't realize it. Um, then this other piece that you said, Rabbi, about and I think you were describing your your mountain. What is it called? Your mountain top mindset method, right? That that's basically. And and we can we can dive a little bit deeper. But I love the, this last piece where the curiosity, which is such an overlooked element often in business and in so many in so many things, where can I just stay in a place of being curious? Where is Hashem taking me? What's the next thing? Like, what are, what are that? Cause I can't see past what I can't see, right? I have a limited mind, but if I could just stay curious and that's what leads me to the next place and the next place, instead of being like stuck in only what I can see, that's, that's, the, that's everything there is here. That's my only reality. Is that a question, a phrase, an observation, a comment? It's an observation. It's an observation. But let's go back to let's go back to the mountaintop can mindset. I, can methods. I observe back for a second? Yeah, for sure. It, it's a it's a fantastic observation, and it's an observation that gives us calm. What what what's what is the true definition of curiosity? Curiosity, by definition, means I don't know and I don't need to know. Right. Last right. A, week, a week and a half ago. Our daughter was going to camp. She was scheduled on a flight on a Monday morning. I use the word scheduled instead of saying she was supposed to be on a flight because apparently we found out she wasn't supposed to be there because she wasn't on the flight. They booked her on a Wednesday. That would not have helped us because the bus taking staff and campers, the last bus take from the airport leaves on Tuesday at 1 p.m. And how am I getting her three and a half hour drive from the airport to camp? Ubers mm-hmm. don't do that. They might, but I don't want to find out the price. <laughs> we all moved into a curious space. We got her, we asked them to put on standby on Tuesday. The entire ride to the airport Tuesday morning, my daughter was relaxed. My son was relaxed. My son had a ticket on the flight. And my, my son kept telling my daughter, you're going to be on this flight. You're going to be on this flight. And we're sitting in the airport and my daughter is tiny news. I said, well, no, when we're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And she was the last name they called for the standby flight. At one point, she said, Todd, what do we do if I don't get on? I said, well, we'll, we'll think about that then. Until, until then, we don't need to go there. As soon as they announced her name, I, I sent the text to my wife. I said, Connie, Hashem knew yesterday that she'd be on the plane today. Right. So curiosity is, is knowing that Hashem knows. Right. Hashem knows I can take it easy. When I become the Jewish bubby, that has the mug that says Hashem couldn't worry for everyone, so he created bubbies. So people laugh at it, but it's really, it's not such a culture concept. Right. Right. And I love that you, that you gave us this example and this idea that we don't need to know, because going back to your, your job as a fundraising coach, a lot of what happens, I presume is again, we, we, we struggle with the, we don't need to know to me translates as you don't need to be attached to the result. Like very often in fundraising and in business, we're so neat. We're so needy of the result. We're like, no, no, no. Like I need that client to come through. I need that donor to come through. Like I need to not that. It's an energy that, that it's people don't realize, but it's very palpable. And when you are actually, you go to that place where I don't need to know, right. I don't need to be like, if Hashem wants to send the money through that client or through that donor, you fill in the blanks, right? 
then he will. But I'm not attached to it. I'm just experiencing this relationship, which, by the way, this man that you described before, 25 years earlier, it seems like he hadn't cultivated the relationship, you know, like you go, go and show up and ask for $5 million. Like, where's the human interaction? Like, why? Like, where's right? So we free ourselves from this. And it's a palpable energy. And when we're free of that, it's like, oh, of course, like, yeah, let's, let's, let, let's talk. <laughs> it's almost, if you can suggest it very subtly, it's almost as if Hashem has an allergic, to, allergic reaction when I need a result to be a certain way. Right. And Hashem, Hashem is looking from on high and saying, oh, really? So you need it to be that way. Okay, bring it on. Now let's see what's really going to happen. Mm-hmm. The, the, the hard work of all of our training, of davening from when we're little pitzel kindalach, saying Maidani every morning and kissing the mezuzah. And as we get older, the girls with Shabbos candles and the boys with tefillin. And all of that is, is boot camp to get to a place where when my brain is screaming out, I mean, I need to know, I need this now. All that training is in order for me to be able to say at that moment, Hashem knows and I'm in good hands. And any effort I put into trying to know Hashem's going to take his energy and go plus the go bless the person who's leaving it in Hashem's hands. Yep. Easy to do when life is a rosy, rosy ride. Difficult to do when there's pain and suffering and, 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 and less than what I think I need right now. And, and as important nonetheless. You know, you talked about this person being terrified. You use the word terrified. And I heard, uh, parts of a webinar um, that you did. And several times the word fear came up um, that people came to you and they said, I'm afraid. And it really stood out to me because that is the opposite of what you just described. That is the opposite of bitachon. It is the opposite of think good and it'll be good right here in my mug. <laughs> it, like if, and if, if we properly learn that, that famous sikha, of tracht good, design good, think good, and be, it'll be good for Moshe Rabbeinu. It's very obvious that fear is the exact opposite. So, so what's going on here, and what's the antidote? It's interesting. I, I, um, in my fundraising course, which I, I, I taught it live a number of times, and then I made it available free of charge to Chabad Shluchim wow. to help them get ahead. The six-part course. The first one is the mindset shift. And I make a play on the words. Go from from take the take the fear out of the fundraising and put the fun into the fundraising. Yeah, fun is the first three letters. So when 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 you it, it's it's perfectly human to to be fearful, but fearful start it's it between my forehead and the back of my head and between my two ears. That's what where it all lives. False evidence appears real. I go into I I, I start playing God. I start thinking how the other person's going to think. Hold on a second. I can barely control how I think. Now I'm going to sit here and tell you how that other person thinks. The amount of time and energy I waste deciding how other people are thinking versus coming in calm, relaxed, humble, and curious. Would you like to have a conversation about doing something really neat that will benefit these people and make you feel very good? And the person says, that's not on my list today. And I'm, I'm, and I bless you for your efforts. And you turn, look back at that person and say, well, thank you so much for allowing me to ask. Mm-hmm. Now they're stunned because they just said no and they got a blessing in return. Well, how can I do that? 
because I didn't come in di- dictating what you need to 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 dict. Now it's interesting. I like to call das tachten and das elyon. Das tachten to me is human thought and 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 the 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 lessons we learn from the business world. Das elyon is godly thought and the lessons we learn from the Torah. Mm-hmm. The business world. There's a lot of rhetoric that says you got to make it happen. You got to hit these numbers. You got to set those goals. You got to meet these benchmarks. And if you put in the effort, you're going to four out of a hundred is a score. All this stuff. It's very nice. It's very nice. This, this, it's got nothing to do with Avisher. Think positively that today I'm going to find fulfillment in my day. It was interesting yesterday uh, from the same spot. I had an, I interviewed Mr. Wes Birch, who is a co-founder of the um, you might call it the homestead community that I'm visiting right now in Northwest Florida and in, in, in the Florida Panhandle. And he was talking about as part of what he wants to see develop here as a yeshiva. Mm-hmm. I was, my phone was off because I was in, in a conversation with him on a webinar. As soon as he said yeshiva, there was a rabbi on the phone who texted me. I, I checked the time afterwards. We barely said goodbye. My phone rings. He says, Shmuley, are you with Wes? Because I just realized that I'm looking to build my yeshiva in the wrong spot. This might be the perfect solution. Can I talk to him? <laughs> but, he, but he ended off with the three magical words. He said, Shmuley, it's okay to dream. You never know where the dream will go. And I don't need to know. But maybe this one will come to fruition. So it was, it was, it was not even seconds from finishing a conversation that wasn't intended to find right. the yeshiva, that he gets a phone call from a rabbi saying, I'm trying to do possibly exactly what you're looking for. Hey, do you know what's my favorite email today? The one I receive from Daily Giving every morning. I get to see a new updated donation amount and the organization receiving the donation that day. True, I may have only contributed $1, but the impact of my dollar when pooled with that of thousands of Daily Givers is massive. I love knowing that every single day I'm giving. No matter how busy my life gets, I know every day I'm fulfilling the mitzvah of tzedakah because I signed up to Daily Giving, and so should you. Don't wait. Head over to dailygiving.org and become a Daily Giver today. Rabbi, this idea of Das Tachton and Das Elyon, at the end of the day, a Jew, even in business and fundraising, it's all the same, right? Needs to be in the Das Elyon. Everything else is just a puppet show. Everything else, the metrics, the profit margins, the this, the that, the probability, the whatever, you have to do it. You have to do it. And by the way, this fellow told you yesterday, it's okay to dream big. And yes, it's okay to dream big. But he actually picked up the phone and he called you. But we're not attached to the result. Like if we understand that it's a puppet show and we're doing it because Hashem asked us to do it, but we're not attached to it, right? We're only attached to the Das Elyon that you described. Then the possibilities are actually infinite. And again, I don't know what they're going to be. I have no idea. And I'm okay with not knowing. Right. And why am I okay with not knowing? Because my creator put me here on his timeline to accomplish what he wants me to accomplish. 
and he gives me what I need in, in order to be able to do it. My, what, what's my biggest, my most defeating success, uh, that's a funny, 22 words to, the most successful way to self-defeat is by thinking I can't do it or it can't be done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As soon as I say it can't be done, Hashem says, I'm going to go hang out with the guy who says it could be done. Right. I don't need to know the process. Right. I need, to, I need to focus on the result. So when I'm working to earn a pranasa to, to, to support my family, and no matter how much I earn, the family continues to grow, Baruch Hashem. The expenses continue to grow, Baruch Hashem, until we get to that place called the golden years, which we could have a whole other conversation about how to view the golden years. But right now, they're not mine because it's, it's, it's not here. It's not for now. With every passing day, it seems very realistically that life gets more expensive. Mm-hmm. And my brain wants to scream out and say, how am I going to do it? Right. And and Das Elian says, how are you going to do what, Yingala? Like, Boychik, in whose hands have you been till now? Till which now. Part, which part of the first 40-some years of your life are you yet taking credit for? Mm-hmm. Oh, finding your basheret. You're, you're going you're gonna to rack that up to your brains? The miracle of, of, of bringing children into this world, you're going to take credit for that one? Why mm-hmm. is that any less miraculous or, or th- then how am I going to put food on the table? Well, as long as you picture a stocked fridge and a, a very happy wife and, and, and beautiful children where food, shelter, clothing is all there, including tuition and the, the, the amount, you know, for, for the simchas at the right time, what, when, how? That's the Yitzhahara. He comes in so in such a like low level mud flinging with a little what, when, how. And he sounds innocent. Yeah. It's designed to wreck our day. And as soon as we hear it, we need to be aware of it and say, okay, Das Tachten, you're doing a good job of trying to take over. I'm a Yid, I have an Asham, I'm going right, I'm going to reconnect right on top of the mountain and, and refresh, knowing that it's all there. Yeah. Yeah, you just said some things that I say very often. You know, you leave the how and the when to Hashem. You just have to be focused on the why. Why am I doing this? Because I'm serving my creator. Why am I like it's that? That's it. But, but, but Rabbi, I want to go back to your original story because you started as a, as an emissary and not that you're not, you are, we all are, but we could, with the official, you said I was in Schlichus, right? And then you pivoted and that transition, what I want to ask is, was there a struggle there with this idea? Uh, am I really utilizing my talents where I need to use them? Like, like this was my idea of what it was going to be. And now I'm going on a different direction. That was not necessarily what Yeshiva, you know, told me I was doing. So I want to hear about that pivot and how, how did, how, how did that go? That's a good thing I didn't read your questions in advance because I would have said, take this one off the uh, interview. <laughs> It's um, my wife would answer it um, that it was it was it was a very difficult time. It was mm-hmm. a very time. I, I created unnecessary pain for my family. It took me time to wrap my head around. Hashem wants me doing something else. It took me time, and uh, once once I got there, there's been no turning back. Right. On right. the contrary, once I got there, I realized that you know I I, I learned from my mistakes. I turned my mistakes into lessons for others. I could not be doing what I, I recently worked with a client. He needed to raise a pretty large amount of money in a pretty little amount of time. 
And every day we worked together. Worked I, every time I hung up the, the the got off the Zoom with him. The thought that came to my mind was, Hashem's been preparing me for forty seven years for this client. I, I was I was blessed to be in a place where I was able to see ahead of him what the challenges were. Hashem kept sending the right mashalim and the right examples and the right words to help him get to where he needed to be. And this was a this is a the impact of him succeeding. I think it's safe to say impacts Claudia so. Mm-hmm. This, this wasn't a you know small town little, little little gig. And so I look back and I say I, n- I never could have imagined. And the good news is I didn't have to. I just have to be be open to following the cues. But a story that that was really probably the biggest game changer for me in that process was I was I was struggling. And I, I called one of my mentors and I said, you know, going from being a, uh, a shliach in a Chabad house representing the Rebbe, which was my dream from when I was a little, little child, to now go, entering the business sector, um, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not sure who I am. I'm mm-hmm. not sure my identity. What I really was saying was I'm not comfortable with my identity. I knew exactly who I was. Right. I, was, man, I was not man enough to say, um, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know how to face the music when I go meet my friends. That's really what I was saying. Although at the time, I wasn't ready to go there. So he said to me, Shmuley, who, who are you focusing on? Who are you, who are you developing this, this coaching practice with? I said, Shluchim. So he said, okay, so you're going to be helping them succeed? I said, yeah. He said, so your average Chabad house, if you help the rabbi, the director succeed, how many people is he impacting? So I said, okay, well, smaller communities would be a couple hundred, larger communities would be a couple thousand. So he said, all right, so if you're if you're working with 10, 15, 20 Chabad houses, and you look at the amount of people that they're impacting, could it be that in your week of working with 20 people, Hashem now has put you in a place where you are impacting hundreds of thousands, possibly millions? So I heard it, and logically it made sense. Emotionally, it was, eh, I don't buy it. Right, and then he said to me the following: There was there was a young rabbi who took heed to the rabbi's call to establish a certain organization that was based in Crown Heights. And this rabbi, this goes back to the eighties. This rabbi's dream was: I'm going to be the shliach. I'm going to get out there in some far flung place in the world and do what my father and my brothers and my brother in laws are doing. And the rabbi then asked for this particular organization to be established, and he kicked into action. And then he realized if I go any farther, he was a bachar at the time, so I get married and I go any farther, that means I am going to be living in Kronites for the rest of my life. What happens to the shliach dream? So he asked his father what to do. And his father shared with him these simple words. Do you want to be a shliach or do you want to do the shlichut? Wow. Do you want the title or you want to get the job done? And that was the end of his argument. He found peace. And today that organization is responsible for um, providing the Jewish world with resources that nobody else does. So that when I heard that message, I said, okay, I got time for me to be a little more of a big boy and embrace that. And Baruch Hashem, it's only gotten better. What a story. Thank you for that. It's so, so, so good. It's this idea of like, do we want, are we doing the job because of 
for us. Like it's the ego, right? Like can we, can we recognize that there's a piece of ego in it that once I recognize, wait, do I really want to get the job done? Is this about me or is this about the Rebbe's job? Is it about Hashem's job in the world, right? What needs to get done? And so once I could get past that place of needing the validation or the recognition or the title, and I can focus on what needs to be done, then then I can hear the messages from Hashem as you started putting the pieces together. Like, oh, it's obvious that Hashem wants me in this direction. It might not be what I thought, but I got to listen because uh, the the job needs to get done. Now, I did not always think this way. And there's no question that um, the two coaches that I most recently used helped me tremendously. The first one helped me look at my fears in the face. Um, I responded to a networking email of his. It was a Thanksgiving networking email. And um, I responded. I said, hey, Joe, this is uh, Joe Applebaum, Ajax Union. Uh, I said, hey, Joe, I uh, heard a lot of good about you. Just I was being a mensch. He writes back, hey, Shmuel, I heard a lot of good about you. Let's connect. And in our first conversation, he said to me, uh, how many, how many, Clients do you have? I said, I work with about 20 to 25 on a weekly basis. He said, and? I said, that's it. He said, no. I said, Hashem didn't put you here to, to, to max out at 20 clients. I said, what are you afraid of? And I said, that's a question I reserve the right to ask to my clients. You can't ask me that question. <laughs> and he, he, he didn't buy it. He said, what are you afraid of? And I said, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid of people saying, no, I don't want to use your services. He said, okay, I can help you with that. And that's when I started, he taught me how to think bigger. He taught me how to put first a leadership masterclass together, run it live. And I remember the lessons I said, okay, so you want me to lay out the six lessons? He said, no, I want you to call 20 people and find out what their pains and gains are. Mm-hmm. And then you can get an idea what the lessons are, but we're not going to, we're not going to fine tune it till you do the first lesson live and then right. come back. Uh, and I ended up doing that. And then we turned it into fundraising course as well. So just with, with those two courses, I went from working with 20 to 25 to already a couple hundred. And then with my, my second coach, Ellie Rosenfeld out of Pittsburgh, he was the one who really brought the Bitachan piece into the coaching work. Hmm. He was the one who led me to that, that the mountaintop mindset of, it started off with Shmuel, you're sitting on a gold mine that you don't you're not aware of. Yep. And once you realize that people are going to come to you, all the organizations and all the people that you never dreamt would want to look in your direction are going to come to you and say, Can you help us turn the fear into fun? Can you help us find blessing in our work? Um, that's when, you know, it's an interesting concept. I don't, you know, it's hard, a little hard to imagine. But I remember he gave me a very specific, um, one of the first times we met, I was pre- preparing to go speak at a convention in, in Brooklyn. It was a Knesset Shluchim. And he said to me, write down on a piece of paper the name of five rabbis who, in your mind, you would love to work with them. But the other part of your mind, they're so big and they're so untouchable, they'll never look your direction. Mm-hmm. He said, write them down. I said, no problem. I, I didn't have to think. I knew exactly who they were. Right. And he said, okay, now start picturing them approaching you. This was on a Monday or a Tuesday. I flew to New York Wednesday, Wednesday evening. I'm walking down Kingston Avenue to go meet my brother-in-law for dinner. I was presenting on Thursday. I get to the corner of Carol and Kingston, and my phone rings. It was one of the five names on that list. And he said to me, Shmuel, are you in town for the kinos? I said, yeah. He said, 
I want you to meet with me and my one of the shulchan working under us. You have to work something on. I think it'll be good. I've heard a little bit about what you do. It'll be good to have your input. Turns out he became a client maybe four years later. Mm-hmm. But that idea of picture it coming, and it comes. I love that. And I, I, I hope I hope whoever is t- taking my um, Purpose to Profit course is going to be listening to this interview because so much of what you said is what we talk about in the class, right? This idea, the, the first thing was this, Shmuley, Rabbi Rotman, we have to validate the idea. You don't have to develop the entire course. You don't have to develop the entire thing. And then, and then, then we go at it. Like the, from those first initial people, that initial idea, you're going to learn so much that then we're going to iterate and iterate and iterate. And then obviously this last piece of bringing in the, the, the curiosity, the possibility, the big thinking, the anything is possible. Yeah, of course. What do you mean? Of course, these people could talk to me. They could be my client, right? If Hashem wants it to. So why am I getting in the way? Instead of we're constantly, Rabbi, we're constantly getting in the way <laughs> of possibility. It's interesting. I used to sell because I was told to sell because Das Tachten said to sell. And ever since I stopped selling, life has become so calm and enjoyable. Right. It's almost like I'm flippant about it. And whenever my brain says, ooh, wouldn't it be great to have that client? I have to exercise another muscle that says that's not my business. Right. That's God's business. Exactly. Right. And he does not need my assistance. Right. Right. And I'm glad you brought that word sale, sell, because it, it brings such ickiness to people. It's so scary. But like I always say, like, a sale is actually some a very natural thing that happens once you've established a relationship based on value. And 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 if you've had bitachon, meaning you're not attached to this person, you're not attached to their money, you're not like you're just genuinely engaged in this relationship and delivering value. It's obvious, like it's just a natural progression of that. Oh, by the way, can you do more for me? Here's my wallet. Like, what else can you do for me? <laughs> Walmart doesn't sell their tomatoes. They're on sale at Walmart. You can go pick what you want and go pay for it. The cash register is not going to talk to you. You meet an Israeli at the mall for the Dead Sea salt that was made in Texas. They'll sell you. True. <laughs> um, and that's and it, for, for their model, it works. That's not what this is. Right. 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 A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Now, you know, so much of we, we mentioned this before the idea of, you know, the money story, things that, you know, we learned growing up and we've, you know, kind of shape our behavior. I'd love to go back a little bit to your upbringing. What, what was it like with regards to money, to making a livelihood? Were there any lessons from early on in life that you either in adulthood, you saw, you know what, this serves me, or you decided, no, you know what, this, I'm kind of rewriting this, I could do without this, anything that stands out in your mind? So I I was getting nervous at the start of the question. And then (laughs) then something popped into my head. Um, We did not grow up with a lot. Both of my parents are Bali Chuva, Baruch Hashem, I'm eternally grateful to Hashem for guiding them on that path. My father was a teacher in yeshiva. And my mother uh, has also in, been in education for over 40 years. So between the two, you know what the money picture looks like over there. Um, but I remember whenever money collectors, I live in Florida, and in Florida, if you're a gated community, you're not having people coming knocking on your door for tzedakah. It just it doesn't work. Right. Um, but living in Pittsburgh, there was always a steady flow of people. Every time someone knocked on the door, my father welcomed them with a warm smile, invited them in, and gave them what he could. 
most of the time it was a drink of water, it was a cookie to make a bracha on, and if they asked if they could leave an envelope, he said yes. I don't know what he was ever able to send, but the the he responded to their request for tzedakah with with hospitality, mm-hmm. and that always stuck out to me. We yeah. I don't remember going hungry, um, but there wasn't there clearly wasn't a lot. There was a soon. I remember as a as a young teenager. I already caught on that if I want a new hat, I better go mow the lawn and, and buy the new hat. When I went, you know, the st- it was interesting because actually some of my siblings did the same. And the ones who didn't, I actually, as a kid, I resented them. I thought mm-hmm. I thought it was disrespectful to my parents and they just they didn't to them. It was maybe the maybe the generation gap. I'm not that much older than my younger siblings, but it could be by then. I think today's kids look at it very differently. Like, what else could the world do for me? It's, it's a different mentality. Um, maybe that's what my younger siblings, some of them, were, were picking up. But there was always, the house is always full of people. Shabbos, there was always hospitality. We, I, we have the greatest memories of stretching space in our home. There were families who lived in the outer community in order to keep Shabbos. They would live by us for months on end, come in, they'd bring in their Boston cream pie, and then, which we were excited about, and then they, you know, camped out for Shabbos. So, I think the values of of menschlichkeit and gutskeit and and, and derech eretz, uh, and when I went when I went away to yeshiva and I had friends who had their parents' credit cards, um, I realized I know the value of a dollar. They don't. Mm-hmm. Um, Those are very very crucial lessons that you just shared. And 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 I, I hear from from friends who grew up in homes where the parents openly spoke about money stresses. And they are, they will, they will never let their children hear them talk money. Even when, whether, whether they have it or they don't have it, they will, they, they, to them, it's like our parents, we did not need to hear that, that we have to buy pasta because we can't afford tomatoes tonight. Because pasta back in the day was 99 cents. A pound of tomatoes was $1.99. So we're having pasta for dinner. No, I don't, I don't think children need to hear that. It's not healthy. But and some parents, that's the way their parents did it. So that's what they do to their children. And they create this un like this 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 minimalization. There's a word for it, but a minimalist, um, like frugal is not the right word. It, it it's cheap and 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 self-devastating. Right. To to talk about them in, in front of the kids, or even to say, oh no, we can't afford that. Or dessert? No, we can't afford dessert. What do you think? You know, I have to go to work. So and I hear, I hear, I do hear that a lot. I'm, I'm grateful that wasn't my, my upbringing. Um, I used to be curious as a kid. What do my grandparents have, and will there be a Yerusha? You know, when, when they pass on. There was nothing. You know, the answer was no. But what did they have? They had children who became from right. established generations of, of a Baruch Hashem of a beautiful families. Yeah, a lot of what you described sounded very, sounded so familiar because in our home also it's the same idea. Um, you know my husband, so but you don't know this piece. The people knock on the door, and all the kids and everybody knows that Tati's gonna feed them, and he starts making eggs and avocado and pulls out the bagels. I'm like, maybe the money's not so much. Then everybody goes to the room to get money from the pushkas, and everybody comes with the thing and give to Tati to give to the person. So that I, one time, one of these fellows who comes often. Um, Matt told me, they said, you know, the tzedakah was good, 
but the hospitality was even better. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, these are memories that my children have. This is how we treat people. This is, you know, and they come back to us because maybe the money's okay. We do give some, but really we treat them like friends, like, like part of a family, like Menches. I remember one time when uh, things were very tight, very, very tight on our end. And this two fellows knocked on our door and I had a dollar. And sometimes uh, there's a look of disappointment in their eyes that right. it just, it's painful. Right. So as I gave them the dollar, I went to each. I said, are you familiar with what the Rambam says about your role? So they, they were stunned for a second. They said, tell us. I said, the Rambam says, people who give other people the opportunity to give tzedakah are meritorious like the stars in the sky. And their faces lit up. And I felt in that moment I had an opportunity here. I can't support them with cash, but I can inspire them and help them see themselves, not the person with the hand outstretched, but rather the person who is being mezaka, bringing merit to the family that's going to participate with whatever tzedakah it is. Right. Because I can't do the mitzvah without you. It doesn't matter the size. Going back to your story of the Rebbe, really, it doesn't matter the size. I just, Yutaka just gave me an opportunity that I could have not had. I couldn't do this mitzvah right now at this moment without you. And it's funny that you said something else. I had this conversation. My daughter goes, my daughter and your daughter are friends. Um, before she left off to high school, I said, you know, you're going to encounter kids who have more than you, who get a bigger allowance than you. You're going to encounter kids who have less than you. You have to know who you are, what it is. This is what you're, we've agreed that we're going to give you every month. And you're just going to have to know. And she's like, don't worry, mommy. I, I've, I've seen things. <laughs> when I went to camp, people had their parents' credit cards and they would spend $90 on Walmart. And I would think like, how much Walmart can you, how many chips can you buy already at Walmart? You know? Um, so I've seen things, ma. I'm like, okay, just want you to know that this is life. Ev- wherever, it's not just now, wherever you are in life, somebody's going to have less and somebody's going to have more. And that, that doesn't say anything about you. This is what you have right now. Utilize it smartly and just, you know, be happy. <laughs> Uh, your, your daughter is blessed to have you and your husband as parents, and that, that's a lesson that many kids aren't afforded today. And it brings to mind a very special Hayyam Yom. I'm, I'm not recalling the date where the lesson is when it comes to spiritual matters, right. it's healthy to be jealous of right. those who have more than you. Right, exactly. Fire to grow. When it comes to, when it comes to material matters, jealousy there is the worst trait. So you have... Right. The same exact trait. In Ruchnius, it's godly. In Gashmius and material, it's what will take you down. And that's a blessing that your, that your daughter is able to get. Even though she said, Ma, I've seen things, she appreciated hearing it from you. Yeah, yeah. In spiritual matters, we, we look up. That's where we look up. That's where we get jealous. In material matters, we look down. Beautiful. Rabbi Rothman, Rothman do you have um, a few minutes to do what I often call Jewish Money Matters fill in the blanks. This is a part of the show where I ask you a few open-ended um, questions or I give you a few open-ended sentences and you finish them with the first thing that comes to mind. That was the first question, so yes. <laughs> Don't be nervous. You're a pro at this. All right, so the first one is, when I give Meiser or Tzedakah, I'd like to give to? I'd like to give to family members who have outstanding needs. And organizations, specific Chabad organizations that I 
um, very much aligned with their mission. I'd like to see them succeed. The two that come to the top of my mind is the Shluchim office, based mm-hmm. out of Pukul, supporting Shluchim's activities around the world, and the Derher, which is a monthly team that brings the Rebbe to life through lessons, stories. It's applicable to readers of all backgrounds. Oh my gosh, it's such a great publication. <laughs> My husband walked in with the newest one this morning. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Good Beautiful. job. Very, very nice. I'd love to make more money because. Because. I want to pay up all my tzedakah pledges. And. And I. Have more ideas of good things I can do with more money. <laughs> the The possibilities are endless. But I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned the pledges because somebody asked me recently, wait, is it okay if I can if I pledge ahead of having the money? Like can I if I, if I don't have the money in my Meister account, if I don't really even have the income, can I pledge it? I'm like, yes, you can. Go for it. <laughs> it's called testing Hashem. Don't worry. Just do it. All right. Something I wish about uh, something I wish I'd learned about money growing up is what it costs to raise a family. Mm. and put away money from the earliest stages of my marriage for the beautiful eventualities of Simcha-related expenses and family-growing expenses that I had no clue about. Yeah, yeah. That's the money management piece, right? <laughs> that we mentioned, but we didn't delve into. But we we, we need to know that it's, it's again, I, I want to go back to this idea. We do it. And we acquire the knowledge and we do the thing. We put, we transfer the money into the savings account or we put it in the investment account. But the idea of being completely reliant or this and emotionally invested in this. And if the money we have to use it one day, how does it affect my mood or if the stock market, you know, that's the piece. That's not what we should be. That's not what we're looking for. Right. And the flip side of that is somebody who believes that. Uh, it's righteous to live month to month. And if they have a couple extra dollars, they have to get rid of it because, what do you mean? I, I never had it before. How could I have it now? That's not what Hashem... No, 100%, 100%. Not healthy either. All right, money, spiritual or physical? Energetic. Mm, that's, a, that's a new one we didn't get on the show. Good one. Okay, something I splurge on unapologetically is... My wife's shaito. <laughs> That's also a new one. <laughs> Those can be expensive people. Spender or saver? Observer. Observer. Nice. Nice. It's it's something we have to watch it. We have to pay attention to it. You know, it's like we take care of our body. We have to watch. We have to watch what we eat. We have to go for walks. We have to exercise. Right. The money's the same thing. It's a resource. We have to watch it. We have to do what do we need to do with it. Very nice. All right. Today, I'm most grateful for. Today, I'm most grateful for being in a place on earth that is almost uninhibited, Mm -hmm. uh, that will become a beautiful community. Nice. And uh, I'm looking right now, I'm looking at the, the trees and the clearings. At three roads, Rebbe Road, Torah Trails, and Simcha Street. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. Which will attract people who want to wake up and milk their cows and <laughs> hear the chickens, wake up to the rooster, take a walk into the woods in Davin, and uh, 
not too far off the beaten path, 10 minutes to Walmart. <laughs> and I'm, we're blessed to be visitors at this very special place, a place I think the Baal would feel very comfortable in. Huh. And um, we're going to come back often, God willing, and say, we remember when there were still woods where your, yeah. house, where your house is sitting right now. Nice. And finally, I'm, I'm Rabbi Shmuley Rothman, and I believe Jewish money matters because... Because Jews matter. Mm, nice. Before I ask you to tell us where to connect with you, I have one final question. If we could, if you could distill the art of fundraising into key components, a few key components, what would you say those are? That's a great question. The art of fundraising it starts off with belief in Hashem, that mm. you'll always have what you need, that Hashem will always send you the right people to support the cause. Distinction there between finding them and Hashem sending them to you. Big difference. Believing that you're the right person doing the right job with this organization. On the technical side, presenting yourself with confidence. Confidence, which is really Godfidence. As in, I'm confident in Hashem. That's why I'm confident. Mm-hmm. As in, these are the numbers of my organization. This is the budget. This is the income. This is the shortfall. And can we explore where you might want to join and at what level gift? Anybody who could do that is going to change the world and make it a better better place. I hope everybody listened and realized that this is not just about fundraising, what you just said. This is about everything in life. Believe and trust in Hashem that he's going to send it. Believe in yourself that you are the right emissary. You're the right person for the job because God oh, put you here. Believe in Hashem that you're the right person. Not believe exactly. in Right, right. That he, that he believes in you. Like every morning he woke you up. He has faith in you. What do you mean you have faith in me? I'm, 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 I'm with all my imperfections. Yeah. That Hashem believes in you. And confidence, meaning what you said, Godfidence, that you are walking with God. You're an emissary of God. Those three things, you anything. It's a recipe for success, my friends. So n- now that we're at the end of the interview, I'll tell you the secret, which is I've never had a client who needed fundraising coaching. What do you mean? They all, they all need the same thing, and you just laid it out. They'll come through the fundraising need, just like there's not a single business coach out there who does business coaching. I agree. It's, all, it, it's life. We need, we need support. We need guidance. So I'm much more comfortable coming to talk about that than me. But it all comes back to these are the fundamentals I need in order to be the godly person Hashem has made me to be. A hundred percent beautiful. And with that, Rabbi Shmuley Rotman, where can we find you? Where can we connect with you? I'm in Boynton Beach. Come on by for a visit. <laughs> Come visit him for brain with him. No, but seriously. Uh, my phone number. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not... I don't have too much of a presence online. I do have a, a website. It's uh, more or less a online business card, rothmancoaching.com. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much. This was so insightful. Thank you. And continue that slacha, bringing Hashem's blessings and energy into the world of money and finance. And from what I hear, your podcasts are well listened to and they travel far and inspire many. But you continue seeing nachas from your work. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks again to Rabbi Rothman for stopping by. You can find him at rothmancoaching.com and he's incredibly accessible. There you can get his WhatsApp number and you can reach out to him as well. If you enjoyed this episode, please 
please head over to the Apple review section, Apple podcast review section and leave a review and rating. It really is the best way to help the show. Fridays, I pick a reviewer of the week and I give that individual a 20-minute session with me. Those are always fun and productive, I should say. And I really enjoy them. And I think my listeners do too. So keep leaving those reviews. You can also send in your questions for those Friday episodes at yael at yaeltrush.com or you can DM me on Instagram or on LinkedIn. You can WhatsApp the number 832-317-6778. That's 832 I'm in all the places. Just reach out, reach out with your questions. I hope you're enjoying your summer. I definitely am. I was even able to squeeze in a little beach escapade. No pictures. Nobody really knows about it. No one knows where or when I went. But I guess if you're a regular listener of the show, you may have noticed a replay. A good one, though. I picked a good one, a summer replay. And then some silence for a few days. So, you know, yeah, take some time off, people. If you need permission, I'll be the first one to give it to you. (laughs) Thanks for being here. I hope you have a great day.